0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land, you are in tune to another episode of intrinsic motivation from a homies perspective. And this is Hamza and really excited about speaking with our guest today, we are going to talk about NDEs. And I get a lot of feedback from from everyone listening to the podcast on all of our platforms. They always want to hear about NDEs. And for those that don't know about NDEs, we're going to talk about near death experiences. We're going to speak with MK And not MKUltra, folks, Uh, that is her pen name, Uh, (laughs) Kathy McDaniel. She is the author of Misfit in Hell to Heaven, Expat. Lovely title of a story. Uh, We're going to get into that. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kathy McDaniel to the podcast. Welcome, Kathy.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yes, yes, indeed. And thanks for making the podcast. And I guess my first question out of the gate is, everything has changed this year, a lot of people's perception. And in America, we have a lot of hyperbole. And so now I hear a lot of Oh, my God, I feel like I almost died because we've been in the house for a couple of weeks longer than usual. (laughs) Is that offensive to someone that has gone through a near death experience?
1: No. (laughs) In a word. (laughs) No, in a Your... death experience you you uh, you know when you've had one because generally you don't know you're having it um mm-hmm. until much later uh in my case I was in a coma for 3 weeks while I was uh uh dying of ARDS which is uh acute respiratory distress syndrome that i got it's called complications of pneumonia in the old days and my guess is most of the people dying today are doing the same thing it's lung failure and and they put me uh, they trapped me and put me in a coma and on a ventilator and i went bye-bye and the thing about being in a ventilator is that i was told they gave me something called uh white amnesia so they don't want you To move because they don't want you to pull the ventilator out they don't want you to be in any distress if somebody turns you over and pinches you or something so they pretty much give you something that kind of erases everything that's going on on the outside and you're kind of left literally on your own so when I woke up uh, to consciousness um, I was very confused because I had been somewhere else. And um, it was not a pleasant journey. I um, I couldn't talk because I had that tube in my throat, and uh, it was very, very nasty. Um, for fun, I'd like you to let me read just 15 sentences, which is how I felt or what I experienced When I went into the coma, and I don't know when in that three weeks it happened. Would you like to hear that? It's from my book.
0: Absolutely, go for it.
1: it. It calls. It's called. It begins. I didn't feel dead, only confused. Total darkness and absolute silence. My only references. Not daring to move, I waited. The blackness morphed into a reddish glow, dragging with it a stinking heat. Acrid fog, muffled moans, and ungodly shrieks. This can't be good. Something was staring at me. Like a blow, a voice thundered, Do you know where you are? My mind raced, searching for some rational explanation, But part of me already knew. Hell, I whispered. To my horror, the answer was an ear-splitting, maniacal laugh. The evil crept closer as I clamped shaking hands over my ears. Panic surged in me, triggering the requirement for fight or flight. Fighting was not an option. I turned and ran. So that's how it began. Okay. And All right. uh, when, then I hit the ground running. So I ended up in the first segment, and it seemed to come in segments. I was in this bombed out, destroyed city, trying to find safety amid the ruins and, and the fires and and these unusual creatures you know hiding between the the concrete blocks and trying to find anybody you know it was just i didn't have time to think about it it was um i didn't feel dead i was just me but i was dropped into this weird place and so and so it went i i went from one segment to another one worse than the next and the the thread that that tied the whole thing together as i met demons as i met other souls down there which i thought were just people but the demons that didn't quite fit um was that they were trying to make me despair that was the goal to give up to just resign myself that's what they would say you're never going to get out of here You might as well do what you're told. And what I was told to do were terrible things. Uh, There was some sort of horrible abortion mill there. And and, uh, uh, my job, as stated, my job description by this demon was to take these poor mutilated babies into another huge room like a warehouse that was just heat with the little broken bodies and, and and put the body down and go back and just do this eternally. And um, finally, I just did it once and I, I stood up to him and I said, no, I'm not going to do this. And he raised this staff like he was going to pound me into the ground and boom, I found myself in another spot. And each spot, I was told to do something that I just didn't want to do and I kept getting... It was like a new new set on a television program or something. Very disorienting, disorientating and always on high alert, never knowing what was coming around the corner and appearing to be eternal. Um, at the very last segment, and I didn't know it at the time, um, I was pretty much, pretty much worn out with the whole, situation. With the whole situation, but there was, but there was the, this there terrible, was terrible place I was place in with these other, other women, women and, it was and it was as cold as hell. Cold it was in hell. this snowy place no, with this horrible um, cabin with a see through it, and we were going to become whores in hell. That was going to be our new job. Something I wasn't looking forward to because the characters there were not cool. So anyway, I had asked the lady demon there. I said, you know, I've been here quite a while. And today, really, or this spot, they don't really have days or time there, it seems particularly miserable. Is it just me? And she said, oh, it's Christmas on earth. That's always the worst day in hell. So true to my rebel spirit, I started singing a Christmas carol. Why? I don't know. I just did. And the other lady started joining in. And at a particular word of the carol, she came screaming at me. And boom, I was in a beautiful place. I was in heaven. And uh, the... You know, you hear the people talk about the NDEs, and, and I'm always so jealous because they just, boom, they're in heaven, and they see angels, and they talk to Jesus, they're sitting on the seashore. Well, I was just in this big room that was completely white all the way around, but I was filled with this exhilarating love and joy, and it's just like any anything that ever happened to you that was wonderful Times a thousand you know it was just you couldn 't be any happier, and the reason I had gotten so run down is I was taking care of my former fiance, who was my best friend, going through um, leukemia treatment, and uh, I was helping him for about eight months, and by the time he died, I was a wreck. I was a physical and emotional wreck, and so when the flu came around, I caught it, and that 's how I got so sick so I'm looking around this room, and there he is. He's standing there. He's probably 20 feet away. He's in front of this, like, arched doorway, and I can't see behind the door. All I can see is all this white above and below me. And I'm full of joy, and I see this, like, table, like an architect's table over uh, on one side of him, left side of him. And there's a big, huge book looked like something that they had plat maps in or something, and it's... It's open to about midway, and, and I'm, I'm taking all this in amid all this joy and exhilaration and totally not understanding, but really glad to be out of hell. And I remember him telling me something in this book, and I'm trying to grasp that thought while I'm looking at him smiling and grinning and carrying on over there. And I remember just this little sliver of saying to him, Oh, oh, no, 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 that, that's going to be just too hard to do. I just want to stay here with you. So he's he's laughing. And, and I thought, huh, he doesn't know he's dead. Mm-hmm. And then he's really laughing. And I thought, he's reading my mind. And I thought, well, I need to take stock here for a minute. <laughs> um, there's a lot going on. Um, He's standing there looking really good, because the last time I saw him, he was hairless, and skin was all mottled and purple, and, and now he looks great, he looks actually 10 years younger than the last time I saw him, he's wearing that sweater vest I bought him for Christmas, and he's just giggling over there like crazy, and finally it dawned on me, oh my God, if he's dead, I must be dead, and I thought, wow, I have to just, grasp that i I, that's that's wild and i thought wow i'm dead i'm dead i'm saying that to try and get the get it into my head and and i thought wow and i'm in heaven i made it I, i was so excited i thought oh this is to be with my best friend in heaven and and he just kind of kind of settled down over there he wasn't laughing anymore he looked at me rather seriously and said, "Mary Kay, that's what Ian used to call me. You've got too much left to do." And I didn't like that at all, because that equated with "I'm getting the bum's rush." Yeah. And and I just said, "No!" When I stamped my foot, boom! Another another place I am finding myself. This time it was in this beautiful, lovely, heavenly sort of setting next to a um, kind of a little little river going a stream, going downhill. It was a beautiful day, and, and there was really nothing for me to do except go down this stream. So I did that, and that was a little bit of an interesting time. I met some people that were encouraging to go on my way. And when I got to the bottom of the stream, all of a sudden – these bright lights uh, came up, but they were uncomfortable. And um, I tried to move my head to evade them, and I couldn't. And I opened my eyes, and I'm in a hospital bed. I, I can't move anything. I'm, I, I'm looking around just with my eyes moving back and forth, and I see my mom and my dad and my sister and my daughter, and, and they go, oh, my gosh, she's back. It felt terrible, and I was so confused. And so then it began to unfold, and my mind was still full of drugs. I couldn't move because I'd gotten down to 86 pounds. I had no muscle mass left after being in that coma for three weeks and having a nasal tube would just ensure. Um, uh, It was just awful, and I was so angry at being back. I you know, it was just awful. And so so then began the the long journey back. And I'm telling you, I was in the hospital, the ICU hospital for a month and then they moved me to a rehab hospital for another full month. And I had to be weaned off the oxygen. I had to learn to do everything again. I I could do nothing. I couldn't uh, walk, talk, um, crawl, pick anything up. I mean, I was, had to be tied to get in a chair. Uh, otherwise, I'd fall out like a rag doll. It was, it was very depressing. And when I see people on television right now recovering from COVID who've been on a ventilator for three weeks, my heart goes out to them like nobody else can, I I know what they're up against, and their family is up against, and it's all joy and everybody clapping when they leave that hospital in a wheelchair, but, man, it's just beginning for them. And, you know, I really wish there was something I could do. I would love to get a, a podcast or a TV interview or something to start some sort of rehab help Uh, buddy system so they'll have somebody to talk to like myself and others to give them encouragement to you know to say keep on fighting you know it, it took about took about six months for me to even be glad to be back and alive I was furious I was my family my four family they had a prayer circle going all over the earth and they had all people, all these people praying and stuff. And they'd always, you know, my mom, my sister would say, but yeah, we we fought so hard to get you back, you know, and <clears throat> we prayed and prayed. And I complained about it so much at one point, a couple of months down the line, I said to my mother, you know, if I ever get this sick again, just don't bring me back. Don't save me. And mm. our family has a sense of humor, but she said, she really kind of meant it. She says, don't worry, we won't. And <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, you're so grateful for crying out loud. Um, but it was, it, was, it was really difficult. I did find, I, I scrounged around and found some people who had also survived ARDS or, and, and had been on ventilators. And the thing was that there was about 10 of us, I guess, and we had little meetings. And you know what? We, each one of us had had a near death experience. Mm-hmm. And they were all different. And nobody had listened to us before we had met each other. They all said, oh, you know, it was the drugs. Or, oh, you were having a dream. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was just a bad, mm-hmm. you know, get over it, forget about it. Well, there's a real difference between actually being in another dimension and having a dream. Uh, mm-hmm. The. The thing is, you experience that other dimension with your consciousness, not with your human brain. So when you come back into an incarnation, you still got that experience in your consciousness, even though your brain dead for whatever time it was. Um, Evan Alexander uh, came to one of our IONS meetings. Uh, that's what saved my life, was going to an IONS meeting. And when he you know he's a neurosurgeon, and he you know his brain was not working, and he had this extremely lengthy and detailed n b e that he still remembers you know twenty thirty years later in detail. it doesn't go away i mine was twenty years ago i can I can spout it I can't tell you what I had for breakfast, but I can tell you every second I was in that place um so ions was another great thing it, it, it was uh talking about a god's wink. you know it was serendipitous that I met this person that told me that about this person who sent me to this meeting, where I met another person who it, it just went on and on uh so obviously predetermined by myself or 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 whatever. but I got to an ions meeting and it took a couple of them because they were all glorious you know i didn't hear anybody <laughs> else. That, that had been in hell, and you know, you start thinking, well, geez, was I that bad a person? I mean, I was a cradle Catholic. I went to Catholic schools. I, you know, I, I just wasn't that terrible a person to have that kind of experience. So I was reluctant a to share it with anybody because that question always came up, and b it just I just didn't seem to fit with the Ions people until. I ran into Nancy Evans Bush um, and Nancy Bush Evans. I can't get those things straight. But anyway, I saw her again yesterday on a IONS um, seminar that they were having. And she had written two books because she had a, a dark one. And this was many years ago. And she just, well, she was a very intelligent woman, number one, and a prolific writer and uh, oh, amazing person, great sense of humor. Um, But she wrote in detail about that. Um, And I found that book and I thought, oh, thank God, I am not the only one. And she Mm. didn't make it sound like it was personal. She made it sound like it was, oh, something like the ancient Greek uh, stories of the journey of, you know, the fellow who went down into hell to find is love and be the hero and come up out of hell and share the share the experience with people. It was more like a a journey and it was about discovering things and about myself and about the world and and about sharing it. So that put a whole different spin on it. And so that was 20 years ago. I've been in Ian's probably 19, and um, the conferences, you go to the conferences, and there's hundreds of dead people. It's wonderful. The energy there is just unbelievable. Uh, nobody's afraid to die. We all consider heaven as home. We can't wait to go back. Uh, we understand, most of us, understand or believe that uh, you know we start off in heaven we grab our homies and go down and uh, predetermine what we want to learn and we're going to drop into each other's lives uh, when the time is right and one of the clues is going to be haven't I met you before I feel like mm-hmm. I know you from somewhere that's almost always the clue that that's one of the You know your your uh, your buddies and your group, and so I was able to look at life so much with so much more enthusiasm. Where is my next person going to be? Because I was told I had too much left to do. I was fifty three years old. You know, I felt pretty old then. Now I'm seventy four. You know, and I look back and I I kept thinking, well, there's going to be one great big thing I'm going to do, and then I get to go home. Well, it wasn't that. It just drove on and on. And finally, <laughs> I started to see a pattern, and and it was so many little things. It would be, well, like when I was in the hospital, I felt so invisible. I looked terrible. I looked like something from a you know a death camp. You know, at eighty six pounds, I was all hunkered over. I had no 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 muscle mass, so my skin looked like a, a, a you know, it's just skin and bone and my face looked like a skeleton and my hair was falling out. I mean, I, the first time I looked in a mirror at about four weeks out, I couldn't believe that was me. My God, I couldn't mm-hmm. believe that was me. And I thought, oh, how can my family have been so kind not to, to look at me any differently? You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like they looked at me. and They still loved me. So when I was in the hospital, people would avert their eyes. You know, especially visitors. And one time, they—I had to have two X-rays a day for my lungs because one of them was, one of them had collapsed, another one was starting to collapse, and and I was a mess. Uh, I kept thinking the doctors kept saying, "You yeah, boy, I just, I just, I don't know how you're still alive with all this stuff going on." I, don't get me started. So <laughs> anyway, I was sitting there waiting for. Uh, an orderly to take me back to my room, all tied to my chair and hunkered over and looking like hell. And, and this little girl, she couldn't have been more than four. She was holding on to her mom's leg while her mother was talking to the receptionist. And she had her finger in her mouth and she was looking around and she looked over at me. And I was only about oh, six feet away from her in this wheelchair. And I thought, oh my God, she sees me. Somebody sees me. This is so exciting. And so I tried to smile. Well, it came out this horrible grimace, and she started shrieking. I was so humiliated and so embarrassed. And her mother looked down to see what the child was terrified of and looked up at me and looked down at the little girl and grabbed her by the arm and says, Darla or whatever her name was, it's not polite to stare. Mm. And I thought, oh. You know, they just want to crawl in a hole. So thank God the orderly got me. But that stuck with me. And so one of the first things I started doing was staring into people's eyes, particularly people that were like a homeless guy sitting on the on the corner, you know. Uh, there's a lot of people that used to be up here that would hold up a little sign. You'd come to a stop sign and they'd have a sign that says, you know, Vietnam vet, anything will help. Always had a dollar ready for them. If I had, you know, had a little extra, maybe five. But I'd always stop, hold down the window and, and wait till they looked at me. And when they looked in my eyes, I would say, here, have a nice day. And every single time that happened, I don't care who it was to, they said, God bless you. Mm -hmm. And that was my clue that I was doing the right thing. And then the next thing that that has become uh, something that I miss because I can't travel, but I was going to my hometown every month to see my parents there in their 90s, and I'd fly from Washington down to California and stay with them a week, 10 days, sometimes two weeks, and fly back. And I kind of don't, I'm not an outgoing person with strangers. I mean, generally, I get in in an airplane seat, and I pull out my Kindle or grab a magazine, and I don't invite people to talk on either side of me. I mean, I'm not rude, but I just don't put out that vibe. Since coming back, that's what I call it, um, almost, Every time I'm on an airplane, somebody will start up a conversation. And at first I was a little reticent, but then they'd start talking like I just came from my brother's funeral. Mm -hmm. Or I've been visiting my mom who's not got long to live. Or some kind of, you know, trigger. And so i put down my Kindle or whatever and talk to them. Well, basically... I said, oh, really? That's interesting. I died once and went to heaven. How, how fortunate for your, your, you know, and they say, huh? And then we get into this two-hour conversation, which is about the flight time, and we talk back and forth. We both end up in tears. Usually with a man, they didn't end up in tears, but they'd get teary. And by the end of it, we'd be coming off the runway, and they'd give me a hug every time, say, I don't know what I would have done, if I hadn't run into you today, or I really needed to hear what you had to say, um, it was it gave me the phone numbers. So we've got to stay in touch. Of course, no, no, we didn't. But that happened just all the time. And so that was when I thought, you know what? It's not a great big deal any of us have to do. It's just so easy to do little things often. So I'll take a breath and let you get in there if you want to say anything.
0: No, I mean you—you've covered so much, and I just wanted you to have that stream of consciousness because that's always best. And uh, there's a ton of questions, of course. Uh, first, I want to give two shout-outs. One is to uh, Sad Guru, and the other is this Jamaican family in New York. And the reason why I want to shout those two out is because Sad Guru always—he talks about the process of death, and he says that it usually takes about 11 to 15 days to actually die. And here in the US, you're like, No, you've been pronounced dead, you're gone. And that's what Mm -hmm. happened to the Jamaican family in New York, their mother or Mm -hmm. family member had gone to the hospital, she was diagnosed as having the, the virus, they put her in a bag. And in the hospitals, right, you're going in there by yourself. So you're not even with your friends and family. Over the past couple sure. of months. And this family was just, they were like, no, we are not taking no for an answer. So they went down and found her in a bag and they found the bag going up and down. She was actually breathing uh. in the bag.
1: Uh.
0: So, you know, here, uh, the other shout out, I always give shout outs, but <laughs> the other one I yeah. want to give is to my brother in law. Uh, he's married to my twin sister, and he's German. And he whenever Mm -hmm. they come to the States, he always says, I love American movies because it is so you guys always have that Hollywood happy ending in Germany. (laughs) We don't have that right. And you going through your experience, right? Everyone's always rose colored glasses. They're not talking about the difference. They're not talking about the different stages of hell. They're not talking about the different stages of heaven, right? And so, um, the other thing that that made me think of when as you were talking was that um, you said in, in those, one of those stages of of hell, because in my understanding, there's no sun. It's cold. You like you pretty much described uh, some of those second stages, just under the third dimension. Uh, but at any rate, without getting into particulars, you were saying that they tried to make you despair and just do as what you told, do as what you are told, and that is the the. It sounds like the dominant theme that people are rebelling against in 2020, right? You're you're going to be in mm-hmm. despair because of all the dis- upheaval, and then just do what you told you're told, right? So uh, mm-hmm. I, I think what we have these negative proclivities is because this dimension that we're having this conversation in at least right now <laughs> is close mm-hmm. to that uh, stage of hell. So there we kind of lean towards that or we're drawn to that. So that's why mm-hmm. I wanted you to have your stream of consciousness. Uh, because, you know, you cover so much and the things that uh, that made me think of you have so much to do. And this kind of leads me to your to a question because you were saying that, you know, with with uh I or I'm sorry, for those listening, that's the International Association for Near Death uh, Studies. Uh, you didn't feel like you belonged, And po- potentially, maybe I'm thinking for you, like for me, I like uh, ice cream, right? So for if I like ice cream, I may go to Facebook and join a Facebook group that likes ice cream. And here you have an overwhelming for the first time in a long time, at least in our generation, we have so many people that are teetering through different dimensions, right through life and death. And they may not mm-hmm. want to, they might, uh, may not immediately want to join ions like what the hell is that? And for you to kind of go through those stages, it might be like a uh, jumping in a pool metaphor, like some people want to dip their toes in before they jump in, you may <laughs> they the Group doesn't exist. you may want to start like a Facebook group of you know survivors of this acute respiratory and the 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 uh, the six month recovery because from the movie scenario, we're seeing, oh, we're celebrating hey they they made it out. <laughs> we don't see uh-huh. the six months of recovery, and you could be that conduit. it sounds like
1: That's a good idea, yeah, that is a good idea. Yeah. Because I do belong to several near death groups uh but no this it does need to be specific, I think to the people that are suffering now and and to give them an opportunity not only for their physical um healing their emotional healing uh but if they did. Venture over to the other side. They they need somebody to talk to about that because the doctors and nurses generally won't, and the family doesn't mm-hmm. want to get into, into it, especially if you've been to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so one, one thing we'll in reading, on that. yeah, it's just I mean, you just never know. It could be intrinsic motivation for people going through uh, the after effects of COVID. Right. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Well, I'm thinking different stages too, right? Because, you know, we speak to a lot of people on this podcast of all walks of life. And if you're going through a near death experience at 20, right? It could be a totally different experience versus 50 versus, you know, 70 and what have you. And if we keep with this COVID theme, you know, the the, uh, people that have the greatest Chance of getting it right with weak immune systems, but others elderly, mm-hmm. and you're like, mm-hmm. hey, this is what I've gone through, and as you get mm-hmm. older or your other stage of life, you're like, just uh, so much unknown. Am I close to it? What can I expect? <laughs> and there's no yeah. transition. There's there's yeah. no trans, there's no orientation. <laughs> <laughs> After high school, we're like, okay, I, this is what I could do for college. But when you die, it's like, all right, have a nice day. <laughs> yeah. The
1: last line of my book is pretty much, uh, there's no opt-out box to check for eternity, so you better prepare <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yikes. And there's a lot we can do, and – um Part of my title on my book is "How to Avoid Hell in the Afterlife," and Mm -hmm. and that seems like a pretty big deal. And to me, it was because I Mm -hmm. certainly do not want to go back there again. And I put Mm -hmm. a lot of effort, time, and uh, prayer into trying to figure this out. And um, uh, you talk about your winking with God. I also know that almost everybody can hear what i call the voice which is some people call it their conscience or their their angel or or whatever but i think god talks to us all the time and and like you i know he's got a sense of humor and um i I, i've talked to him since i was a child and and so the voice to me has my been my go-to you know uh for my quiet space to to, to just kind of check in and and after this experience i'm telling you we, i had some hard conversations <laughs> with God about all this, <laughs> and uh he's been a bit, really a good sport and um just i think it's been about a year ago now um i really uh i keep a really cool picture of jesus next to my bed he's just my bud and and um one morning I I said, you know, I, I just, here I am all these years past this experience. I'm I'm getting up there and I, I, I just don't want to ever go there again. I know there's got to be some sort of outline diagram, somebody you can give me. And the next day I, I heard when I woke up loving and kind, loving and kind, loving and kind. And I thought, well, that's funny. That's, where did that come from and i thought oh wait a minute i asked a question so i wrote it down Mm -hmm. and it was so cool because that day when i was out and about i would see the word kind on a poster or i'd say see something that says loving or or whatever and i thought whoa that's that's god winking right so i wrote Mm -hmm. that down and about a couple months later i heard merciful and forgiving over (laughs) and over and over so I thought, oh, there's four things there. So I wrote those all down, and I thought, wow, we're getting somewhere. And for a long time, I didn't hear much, but every morning I'd get up and say, dear God, help me to be loving, kind, merciful, and forgiving. And then later on came encouraging and grateful. Now, none of those things are spectacular and none of this themselves. We hear that all the time, but to me, it was answering a specific question, and, 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 and if I wrote it down and looked at it every day you know I, I would be more aware and uh it went on for a while and nothing else came and then i was going through a particularly hard time with some of my friends i was being a little i don't know uh well anyway the next word up was non-judgmental mm-hmm. and uh, i thought "Ooh, ouch that came at the right time <laughs> So I mm-hmm. added that and then for a long time there was nothing else until last, oh gosh, I don't know how long ago it's been, eight, nine months now that the last one came and it was useful. And I thought, useful? Well, you don't usually hear that one. I wonder what that means. And as I pondered it the next couple of days, the voice became very insistent. It's time to write the book. Mm. So that is something i've gotten down on my this, this little list of things to do to keep you out of hell because if you do all of these things you're not going to be doing bad things and all of these things if you do them take on a life of their own with a person that receives them and they're more likely to do the same so mm-hmm. it's it's a no-brainer it's pretty easy but if everybody in this world, every tenth person, every hundredth person in this world started doing that on a daily basis, things would be very different out there. And I mm-hmm. think, I'm going to jump out and put myself in front of the firing squad. I think people are having trouble being forgiving mm-hmm. and merciful right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things happened a long time ago. Um, that have nothing to do with the people that are on this planet now. And we all have backgrounds in our ancestors and everything that had problems. Well, at some point we gotta we just gotta stop and be merciful and forgiving and then encouraging and grateful and big one, non judgmental. And just go ahead and be useful. Let's do good things. Let's let's bring this bring humanity up you know, we're all together. And, you know, I think you, you've mentioned, too, anybody that believes in predestination or that's determining your own life on earth or reincarnation knows we've, we're only in this particular body and particular circumstances for X numbers of years. Then we're going to go back up, re-roll the dice, shuffle the cards. And pick something else. So the thing that I I really took away from that experience was my tendency to feel like a victim. Because if you read my book, I had a lot of crappy things happen to me in my life. And if it weren't for my sense of humor, I wouldn't have survived. If it weren't for my family and friends, I wouldn't have survived. If it weren't for my faith in God, I wouldn't have survived. But the thing is, now I can look back on all that stuff and say, I planned that myself. Mm-hmm. I, I am no longer a victim to anything or anybody. I have complete control over my destiny. I planned this because I wanted to learn things. I I had a baby die a terrible death so that I could learn empathy instead of sympathy. I had... Several of my girlfriends lose babies after mine. And I had one say to me, you know, I, I can only talk to you about this because you know how I feel. Other people can say, oh, I'm so sorry that I feel so bad for you. That must be terrible. But you know how I feel. And that's, that's the beauty of what we consider some disasters in our, in our lives is that we now have this ability to comfort people to give them hope. Um, All that needs to be shared in a positive way. Um, uh, It's just, again, it's that victimhood thing. When you remove that and, and look at your circumstance, whether it's a good circumstance and there's no really negative circumstance, they're just challenges. That you gave yourself. I wanted to learn patience. I wanted to learn, you know, how to, whatever, you know, what, what it's like to be an alcoholic. Um, what's it like to have a, a, a child with, I've got a friend that has a very mentally and physically challenged child. And I look at that situation now and say, she wanted to know what, 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 what real giving of herself, you know, how She could be kind and and all these things. And this person wanted to know how it felt to be completely helpless and depend on other people and, you know, what that felt like. So all of this is just, I won't say a movie or a play, but it kind of is. And Mm -hmm. we chose it. Mm -hmm. So quit blaming other people for your misfortune and whatever's happening in your life because you chose it. And that really with, does make a difference.
0: With that being said, uh, oh, I do want to ask you, uh, do you have Netflix? Yes. Okay. So have you watched the TV show Dark?
1: Uh, I'm trying. I've been looking, like everybody else, I've been watching a lot of movies. Um, sure. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, well, definitely,
0: put it it on your list if you haven't. And for those listening, you know, it's a German movie. Again, that's why I gave a shout out to my brother in law. But what's interesting is if we talk about uh, free will, there is a a school of thought that the only free will is before you incarnate, right? These are the things that you want to, you want to experience. And so in dark, something happens. And let's just say, here in the States, it's pretty, based on your perception, it's pretty dire. But it's not as dire as what they predicted three years ago for 2020. in in Germany for this show. And uh, oh. what happens is, something happens, and they're like, why well, want to change it? And so they're, they're uh, certain people go back, everything happens, you know, they try to put like a, a little bit of a religious slant for 33 years, of course, represents mm-hmm. Christ. And yeah. so at every cycle. So they go back to like 1986, they go back to 19, 1953. And though even if they weren't alive, they were their family lineage was still feeling like going through some of those learning experiences, if you will. And so wow. it, it's really good because they go like they don't usually go just to the past, they go to the future too, because in third dimension, mm-hmm. if there's a timeline, right? There's the the only thing that matters. The only thing we have influence on is the present moment that we're having this conversation. But on yeah. the timeline, what's happening in the future is is happening in the past, or what's happening in the pa- present is happening in the past, or, it, and it's mm-hmm. just really good. It's not the whole airy fairy Hollywood thing, and that's why I've been mm-hmm. from letting letting people know about it. And mm-hmm. uh, the other. Other thing, as far as the question, uh, when you're talking about non-judgment and being forgiving, uh, we I, I have noticed here, and Abraham talks about this a lot, and, and Bashar talks about this a lot, that in third dimension is contrast, and so because of this contrast, that's the way we learn. And so when you said you've been through hell, there are some people that's like, wow, I'm really going to listen to her because she's gone through it, so I won't have to. And others are like, well, she's <laughs> my experience is different, so I'm going to want to go through it. And you don't want to take that experience away from them. So what do you, do you want to get rid of hell altogether? <laughs>
1: uh, well, you know, I think my hell came because I chose it. And that, mm-hmm. from I'm gonna again, I it's all it's all, it's been a long time since I was there, 20 years ago. But still, it's always unraveling. You're trying to make it fit. Part of fit for me is I was born and raised a Catholic, and part of it I think it had to do with mass, and that has to do with the fact from when I was very small, I was told, you know, if if you do something wrong, you know, you, you'll go to purgatory. And if you, if you do something really terrible, you go to hell. The only difference between purgatory and hell is it's the same place, except in purgatory, you get out. So that's, that's the difference. Okay, I'm, you're little. You're six, seven, eight, nine years. Okay, so, and if you steal something, oh, that's not good. Well, as you got older, they, they attached days in hell which is funny because it's timeless there and so yeah. if you if you did something I don't know, you cheated on a test or, or i don't know use dirty words or whatever you you got this like time in purgatory on your side and then if you did something good you took cookies to an old lady you uh said three rosaries you you did uh said certain prayers you got 300 days off your time in purgatory so it was this great big math you know, problem. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in the book, I just kind of joked that somewhere in the 53 years I was, I miscalculated. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't carry something over, you know? And uh, uh, so I expected, I expected my whole life to go to purgatory. So I think I created that for myself. And Mm. um, it's, it's something to think about, you know? And the fact that they kept trying to make me despair, that was, I was taught always that that was the only sin against the Holy Spirit that could not be forgiven, was to despair. Mm -hmm. And so that Mm -hmm. was always dangled out to me. And I knew I couldn't do that. So I refused to despair. But um, that's, that's. Now, so, see, I've got this sister you know, that I, that was a reborn Christian, you know, years ago. We mm-hmm. we all she drove us all nuts. We're all practicing Catholics, but we couldn't be saved because we, you know, that whole thing. And mm-hmm. so she's, she's, I love her dearly. She's just the best, most generous, kindest person in the world. And she and Jesus are, you know, just like that. I mean, they are just so close. So when I came back. Uh, she was saying, I said, I'd gone to hell, you know. And she says, Oh, well, I'm not going to hell. And I says, What do you mean you're not going to hell? She says, Well, I see you. I said, It exists, and purgatory is there. And she says, I, I don't know about you. But when I die, I'm going to jet right to Jesus' arms. And I says, You know, you'd better have a plan B because mm-hmm. I kind of thought maybe that would happen to me. And she says, No, no, it's my final answer. So I thought, I want to get there. I want to get there and encourage other people to get there. Get that negative idea that you deserve hell or purgatory out of your head. The one thing everybody agrees on that goes to heaven is that God is all love. There is no other component. He cannot be made angry, he cannot be hateful, he cannot be unforgiving. It can't happen. That's not who God is. We're the only ones that do that. So we only have to exist and live and go and die and we'll go to heaven. There is a catch. There is the life review everybody talks about where you get a couple of nice angels to kind of hang with you and, and you get to see this movie of your life and you get to see it, you know, you've got a lot of time up there, but there's no time. But you see your entire life, how you interact with everybody. And then you get to see it from the other side, how the recipients, of being around you felt the whole time. Mm-hmm. And this is done with great love and encouragement. And from what I've told, been told by people, they, you know, oh, you could have done a little better there. Or wow, you really excelled there. You're really, you really learned patience here or going to have to work on that. You know, it wasn't at all judgmental. It wasn't at all condemning. It was just to give you feedback. It was just, you know, just kind of like getting your Amazon review. Uh, you just you just said okay okay well and and then you can from what I understand and what I hear uh, you can take time off you know you can take time off and go with a friend and just go explore the universe you can go be plant life on Venus you can you know, come back to Earth there's all kinds of stuff to do but it's a great place to hang if you don't even want to come back so anyway uh, I'm rambling on that one but um, not
0: really. not really I want to talk about you and your sister's perception because Mm -hmm. one thing that um, that you didn't talk about or maybe I don't know if you were thinking about it but you were saying as a child 6789 and you're hearing these messages um, that would kind of go into the Freudian mindset of right like we're you're getting hardwired in your subconscious your Mm -hmm. first seven to 10 years And so when you Mm -hmm. die, or, you know, there's a lot of people that I don't care how old they are 20 30 40 50 60 70, they're repeating patterns from their subconscious from those formative years. Mm -hmm. Right, so that's something to address and how maybe your sister was able to break that or she didn't absorb the message the same way that I mean, right, because when anything happens, there's all, like, in, even in the reviews, you may, <laughs> you may interpret it one way, but the person that it happened to, or the person that was doing it to you, is interpreting it in a different manner as well.
1: Sure, sure. But the, in the review, I believe you get to feel how they felt. So mm-hmm. uh, you, you take somebody and you say, Wait a minute, God's not gonna condemn anybody. What happened to Hitler? Well, he had a, probably a very long review and i would assume if he felt all the fear and all the pain and all the agony of each of those people he impacted that would have been hell mm-hmm. you know what i mean if he got to experience all of that then or anybody mass murderers whoever you got that slave sex slave people that's their own personal hell but it's it's not god putting it on them They just get the opportunity to see the fruits of their labors.
0: Mm -hmm. Or, in the other side of that, is if you're shaking up the dice, right? When you come back, you come back as a recipient of what you were doing in the previous life. So that's always very well
1: be. That's right. You could be doing (laughs) a karma thing. Yeah, you know. our own little brains, I, I I liken it to try to teaching a a, a four year old on a tricycle how to drive a ten wheeler. You know, our brains cannot begin to comprehend God or or eternity or any of that. We just aren't that's not the purpose. The purpose is what we we signed up to come down here and learn things and do our best and then go home. So mm-hmm. um uh I look forward to going home and I'm I'm like 98% sure I won't go to hell, but I can't quite take it. And I'm trying really hard because I don't want to do it. So um, I don't know. I'm still just human. Uh, You know, you you don't get away from that. But boy, the experience of heaven. I I got into hospice when I came back and a lot of people do because you want to be around dying people. You're so jealous. And uh, it gives a great atmosphere for people around you to, in that situation. I remember one poor little guy. I uh, was I, I volunteered to be at the front desk and, and walk the families down to their loved ones. It was a hospice house. It's a great place in Tacoma. And uh, they really take care of people on, on their way out. And uh, so this one little guy, he kept jumping out of bed. And uh, they... Uh, they kept having the bells go off, and the nurse would go in there, and they would finally put on him a mattress, and and uh, he'd escape, and 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 they were just beside themselves. And so they came into me. I only had like a half an hour left on my shift, and, and said, "Look, we're we're just. Do you have time to go through the story?"
0: Oh, absolutely. Go for it.
1: Okay. Um, she, she said, I, I need you to sit in on, you know, this, this gentleman because he, he keeps getting out of bed. He's going to hurt himself. And I says, oh, look, I'm not very big. I'm not going to be wrestling some guy on a, on a mattress. And she says, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And off she went. So I kind of went in and sat down and he looked at me and I looked at him. And I don't know if, is it correct for me to mention race or ethnicity in my very own life story or is that something I should leave unsaid let's just say this person probably hadn't had a lot of experience around people like me and vice versa so okay. um, this, this man looked kind of shocked and he couldn't talk and he was probably a hundred pounds, poor little thing. He's just kind of withered away. It's Hard to tell how old he was. So he's looking at me and I'm looking at him because this is not generally something I do. And um, so I just kind of said, hi, and uh, he's looking at me. And I said, um, I just want you to know that you're the lucky one. And his eyes got like saucers. And I says, I just came back from heaven I died and went to heaven, and it was the most glorious, wonderful place. You're going to be so happy. Your friends are going to be there. You're going to be young and healthy. And in God's love, it's just, I'm so jealous. And he kind of softened his face up and kind of made a look like he was, tell me more. And I... I said, I don't know why you. he started to get restless. I said, now, please don't get out of bed. I don't know what to do if you get out of bed. I don't know what's wrong. Why are you doing that? So he used his eyes, and he looked at his yep. eyes, and he looked over at his table, looked at me, looked at his table, and I looked over, and his water glass was empty. His pitcher was okay. empty, and I know how hard that was because I went for several days without any voice at all, and wow. I tried to tell people with my eyes, and they didn't hear me. So I said, oh, my God, you've got no water. I said, are you thirsty? And he shut his eyes like he was just so grateful. And I said, Mm. don't go anywhere. i got to go ask the nurse if you can have water. So I ran down the hall. I said, can the guy in 205 have water? Sure. I ran back down the hall filled the glass up with water, went over. He was laying almost flat. I didn't want to drown him. I thought, oh, crap. I says, excuse me, but I'm going to have to get personal. I, I went under his head and shoulders, put his head in my lap like a child, put his head against my breast, and and, and gave him the a straw and let him – he sucked that whole glass of water all the way down. I gently laid him back, stood at the head, and he just – he just shook his head, and he was so, and and he he could kind of croak a little bit now. Mm-hmm. So, I thought, how cool that I was asked to do that that day. That's one of those things. So um, I said, um, he, you know, he just said more, and I said, well, I, yeah, I said, uh, you know, this is what's been my experience, and this is what happened, and and uh, and uh, he, he, I had the music, I turned on some music for him, and he said, quiet. And I said, Quiet and, and, and so I went over and turned, turned the music off and he put his little hands across his like across his chest and and just settled into his bed and sat, lay there with a smile. Mm-hmm. So the the lady from hospice came in, she was gonna come in and and she, this was one that came around every day and she says, Well oh my goodness, he, he looks very restful. I said, Well nobody gave him any water. Poor thing was trying to get into the bathroom to get some water and she said, "Oh my God, Oh my God, I'll make a note." So she says, "All right, whatever his name was, Henry, I just want to prepare you for what's going to happen. You're going to have, you know, you're going to see things and you're going to do things." And he looked at her, just like, "Get out of here, lady." I already know. What I'm doing. <laughs> and, and so, um, anyway, so I looked at my watch and I had to go. And of course, I had a husband at home to the, the feed and traffic to get through. And and I just patted him and I said, "You know." Um, I know that you are going to be fine now and I will keep you in my prayers and, and pretty soon you're going to be with your family and all that. And, you know, God bless you. And he looked up and he said, stay. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that was the biggest decision I ever had to make in my life. But I knew from working there, sometimes people revived and they'd be uh, still around for a couple of days before mm-hmm. they'd actually pass. And I thought, no, I was supposed to do this and and I said no I can't but I will see you again someday and you come up and say hello and uh, God bless you and I just gave a little kiss and off I went so but that was one of the coolest things that ever happened Mm
0: -hmm. and we can
1: all have that kind of thing happen really Uh, another one happened there at hospice Uh, a a lady was dying and her children were adult children were there and her daughter was crying and her husband had her his arm around her and she was just sobbing. And I, I went up to her and I said, you know, I don't know how to say this, but I was in heaven a couple of months ago and, and about a year ago. And, and it's, she's going to such a wonderful place and she's going to be healthy. And she's going to be happy. She's going to be with you all the time. They're going to, she, they hang out with you. It's going to be great. And she got her eyes got looked so big. And she said to her husband, mom's going to be okay. She's going to mm. go to heaven. This lady said there really is a heaven. And, Again, it's just, wow, uh, all that that I went through, mm-hmm. just, it's just paid off in spades. So mm-hmm. anything I think negative we go through, it's, there'll come a time when you can share that or, or be there for somebody going through that. So don't despair. It's all and, got a reason.
0: And, oh. Absolutely. And, and thanks for sharing your story, um, there are a lot of nuggets. I, I think the biggest takeaway, though, uh, before the podcast, we were talking about Godwinks, and you were talking about making that connection with eye contact. I mean, that cliche, "eye is the window to the yeah. soul." Uh, many people have their eyes into their electronic devices, so they're missing their mm-hmm. opportunity to have, you know, that checklist. I guess if you would, to, to put make it very big. <laughs> right. <and> plain, right? <laughs> These are the things you said you wanted to do, but your eyes were down planted to the in technology, yeah. so <laughs> it, it was That's definitely enjoying.
1: Yeah, it yeah. is so true. We're not making contact with each other. Everybody's so lonely, and and uh, it's it's not good. It's not good. Well, it's um,
0: forces, right? So the forces would be right there. Is, it's both forces. You have forces that want you to despair and do what you're yeah. told, right? And, and so, a lot of that loneliness, is because they're not having that human interaction, that human contact, uh, the it's a poor substitute to rely and have a relationship with your technology. And so, yeah,
1: you can't do the loving, kind, merciful, forgiving thing if you're just looking at a box.
0: Right, right, right. So, I'm sure we just crossed the surface, scratched the surface. I mean, there's so much more. And for people that loved your story and listened to it, they they want to pick up your book. So if yeah. you can tell us your site where we can pick up your book and how we can get in touch with you, that would be great.
1: Okay. Um, um, it's on Amazon. And it's a long title. I'm sorry, but it's <laughs> Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. I was an expat because I got thrown out of hell. So um, actually, we're all expats. We all start in heaven. We work. In another area, and then we go back home. So we're all heaven expats. And then my website is the same thing, just www.dot.missfitandhelltoheavenexpat.dot.com. And there's all kinds of different pages in there. There's suggestions for people who are nurses, or for people who are have um, or firemen, or uh, people who have sick loved ones or things that I learned that I'd like to pass on, just a couple of key points for them to keep in mind. Um, I guess that's about all. I, uh, and IONS, I really support IONS if anybody has got uh, near-death questions or fears or whatever. It's a wonderful resource. Um, and I just thank you so much for having me on this show. It's It's great to feel like I can cross off another thing on my list of too much things left to do. If I can get them all crossed off, I can go
0: home. And and, and here I gave you another homework assignment. So if you do it, hopefully, you know, let us know about uh, there is that. There is going to be that growing group that's going to have, you know, they get through COVID and they're going to have that six months to recover or who knows how long. And and they're going to need some help support network.
1: Yes. yeah, six months to where you. It took me to get grounded again,
0: just accept right.
1: the fact that I was going to be stuck here. But it took a good full year to get most of it back, and then of course I'll always have lung problems and, and you know stuff. But you just you can live with it. You know, it's it's just that not despairing part that's really hard. Right. That's right. really important. Okay, well God bless you too for all your efforts. You have a really good show.
0: Sure. And you've been—you have just been tuned to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, Kathy. It was a pleasure, and let's stay in touch.
1: Okay, thanks.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye
1: bye. Bye.